for the chapter entitled of the assurance of grace and salvation of the assurance of grace and salvation. So I want to begin uh, by reading through just the first paragraph, which is what we'll cover this morning dealing with this subject. Although temporary believers and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and in a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God which hope shall never make them ashamed. As we begin this morning, let's pray together. Father, we do want to thank you for this morning and the opportunity to gather together uh, once again to study your word. And Lord, as we look to this teaching this morning and we study, I pray that you'll help us open our eyes to the truth that's before us. And Father, help us to see not only the warnings that are given from this passage, but also uh, the great encouragement that we that are in Christ can have today. Father, we do pray that any uh, sense of discouragement uh, in our own walk with you, Father, would be uh, dealt with this morning, whether through the repentance of sin or just a reminder of who we are in Christ and the finished work of, cro of Christ on the cross. Lord, thank you for each one that's here this morning, and may Christ truly be glorified in everything we do, and it's in Christ's name and for his sake I do pray, amen. Well, as we return, can somebody get the door for me, please? Thank you. As we return to this study of the confession, uh, now this morning we are dealing with a subject that often becomes the source of great consternation towards many people. Uh, it becomes a struggle in the lives of many, and that is dealing with the subject of assurance. And this morning, going along with the confessions definitions, I want to deal with uh, this paragraph by considering the subject uh, carnal presumption and certain assurance. Carnal presumption and certain assurance. It's, it's quite interesting to me that the confession writers began this chapter and the very first words that start this chapter on assurance and assurance of grace and salvation deals with an acknowledgement that it is possible for people to deceive themselves into thinking that they are saved. That it is possible for a person to have false hopes. Now, this is not a, a new subject. This is not something that's not new to Scripture. Uh, throughout the Bible, we have passages that not only point us to the deception and the possibility of being deceived, but we also see the encouraging passages that remind us uh, that a person can know for certain that they are a child of God. So the subject today dealing with this presumption and assurance and those key words before each one, I think, is important carnal presumption and certain assurance. Now we do know that throughout scripture, John the Baptist himself and Jesus also warned specifically the Jewish hearers about the danger of presumption, the danger of presuming that they had received the favor of God, 
Going as far as to say, we not only know we have the favor of God, we are in fact one of His. When in fact the truth of the matter is, Jesus pronounced upon them that you're not in the faith and you yet need to repent. Now as we begin, I want to look at two, two examples in Scripture that show us about this deception and the words of some Jewish hearers who believed that they were in fact and presuming dangerously that they did have the favor of God upon them. The first passage I want us to look at is Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 19. Now again, of course, we're picking up these passages in the middle of a chapter, so the, the, the entirety of the full context, we're, we're just getting uh, just a glimpse here. But you'll, you'll notice the words here very clearly about those who were being deceived. Now Matthew 7 verse 19 says this, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. He was talking to those who made the carnal presumption that they were in fact in the faith. And very clearly, our Lord speaks to them and says that not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Very, very clear. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, so these, these numbers of presumptions, these numbers of times when individuals said, uh, we are certain we're in the faith. Uh, Jesus specifically deals back with them and says, no, you are not in the faith. And just because you say, Lord, Lord, does not mean you will enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, turn over to Luke chapter number 3 and look at verses 7 through 9. Luke chapter number 3, verses 7 through 9. <clears throat> You'll see a similar words being used here. Verse 7. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So again, we see presumption. Now, this carnal presumption is because they were trusting in their own hopes and their own belief in what they thought equated to entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Of course, in the second passage here, they equated their relation to Abraham as the means of their hope. That would be an example of a carnal presumption to say that I am of the kingdom of God simply because Abraham is my father. 
So although we have the negative side of this, and this is something I think we miss, there are people that get very, very concerned, and, and you should be rightfully concerned, and you should make certain of your salvation. But we get overly concerned with passages like Matthew 7 that say, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. We overemphasize the negative and don't think about the reality that Jesus Christ and throughout Scripture has given us many, many passages of assurance. So that the idea is not to make you question your salvation, but rather to give you the assurance of your salvation is what the intent really in Scripture is. Now, are there people who are going to say, Lord, Lord, and will not enter the kingdom of heaven? Absolutely there are. But the clear teaching of Scripture is this, is that you can know that you're not one of those. You can know that you're not one that's saying, Lord, Lord, and then say, I said, Lord, Lord, now I wonder if I'm going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can know for sure. So we've got to be careful that we don't go so far and emphasize the presumption that we miss out on the assurance. Okay? So it's very important as we study and begin this. So in the same manner in which we see Jesus and John the Baptist declaring upon those who were presuming, we see the Apostle John in an epistle that's entirely dedicated to the subject of assurance, which is the epistle of 1 John. 1 John is an entire book devoted to assurance. It's devoted to give us a reminder of what we really are in Christ. Now, the key verse in that, and we'll come back to this in just a little while, is 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13. Again, if you've been in the faith for any amount of time at all, you know this verse. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. John's whole point of 1 John was that you may know, you may know of your salvation. You may know of the grace of God. That you can confidently know and be assured that I'm in the faith. And that I am not as one who says, Lord, Lord, and then wonder, am I actually going to make it at the end of this life? However, along with those assurance passages in the same epistle of 1 John and throughout 1 John chapter 2, 3, and 4, John also gives interwoven within those passages of assurance, he gives us warnings about not being deceived. Okay, so let's look at a couple of those. 1 John 1, 6. And we're going we're gonna to rattle these off just single verses, all right, just so you can see this. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Go over to chapter 2 and look at verse 4. 
He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 9 of chapter 2. He that saith, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. Verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Verse 22, who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Go over to chapter 3, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And then over to chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Verse 6, chapter 4, we are of God. Notice that. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then one more, verse 20 of chapter 4. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? That's a lot of verses, but a lot of proof text, we'll call them that, that compare the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Deception is often defined by that which is closest to the truth. Deception is meant to do what it means. It's meant to deceive you. It's meant to trick you into putting your false hope or trust in something that cannot deliver what it's promising to deliver. John, within this entire epistle, from the first chapter to the fifth chapter, is zeroing in on the assurance that we can have, the certain assurance that the confession writers were zeroed in on in this first paragraph. Now, as I mentioned, this presumption, this carnal presumption, it is real. Okay? There is such a thing as carnal presumption. And I would not dare say today that none of you are in a state of carnal presumption. I would not dare look at you and say, because you are here today, that you are completely and totally fine. I would say to try every spirit, to, to determine, even as the scripture was read this morning, there would have been today, as those scriptures were being read, for a child of God, there should have been a level of assurance that came through to you and to you through the power of the spirit, giving you more and more certainty that you know you are a child of God. At the same time, I believe the word is that powerful that as those verses were being read, it could have revealed to you at that same moment that I am trusting in something and I'm making a lot of presumptions about a lot of things, but is my hope real? Am I really in the beloved? So carnal presumption is real. One of the most greatest concerns of a father, especially a father in the... Uh, in the event of an earthly father that adopts a child. As that earthly father adopts that child, 
that father has a couple of things he wants that child to know. He wants that child to know that he or she is loved. He wants that child to know that not only are you loved, you are a true and lasting member of this family. Okay? That's, that's adoption. That you are now a part of this family. The father wants the child to know that you are indeed my son or daughter. A good father never wants their son or daughter to wonder, am I truly yours? Am I truly yours forever? Now, what do you think God's intent is with his children? God's intent is that his children would know that you and I belong to him. If we are trusting in the right things. So this father, an earthly father, think about how an earthly father wants his earthly child to know. How much more does God, our heavenly father, want his children to know that we belong to him? You see, we've got to be very, very careful in our circles. We've got to be very, very careful in these reform circles that we don't get so far one direction that we forget about the love of God and the assurance that comes with these great doctrines. Yes, the wrath of God is upon all who don't believe. But understand that also God wants us to know that we can have the assurance that we are in the beloved. And that I'm not supposed to struggle with my assurance. But now there were some pretty strong statements that John was making about how you can know. Given the example, one of the prime examples, if you hate your brother, you hate a brother or sister, you hate a brother or sister in Christ. How can you possibly love God if you hate them? Now, that's a strong statement. But again, these are searching questions and searching verses. So what do we know, first of all, about this assurance? Well, you'll notice with me that as we look at this paragraph again, um, we can see that that first statement that talks about temporary believers and other unregenerate men vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumption of being in the favor of God and in a state of salvation which hope of theirs shall perish. In other words, the confession writers were saying very carefully this hope that they have, they believe it's a real hope, but their hope is going to perish with them. It's going to die with them. They will go to the grave with that false hope. But on the flip side, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace. All throughout the Bible, God declares that in and through Christ, he has adopted permanently, eternally, believers into his family. That Truth of Scripture cannot be denied. It's all throughout the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, there are passages that deal about the adoption of believers. Now, in this particular chapter of chapter 18, the confession writers don't deal with the subject of adoption very much. But they do deal with the results of our adoption. One of the results of that adoption is our certain assurance. I can stand before you today and know that I have been adopted in the family of God. And I can say that to you with 100% certainty. Not based upon any work that I've done, but based upon the finished work of Christ. 
How do I know that to be true? Because the Bible declares that to be true. The Bible declares that I may know that I have eternal life by believing on the name of the Son of God. That's true knowledge. Now, we are the recipients, through grace alone, of everything the Father has given. We receive His affection. We receive His generosity. We receive His mercy. He is the perfect Father, right? Now, our earthly fathers are not perfect, even though that, back to that example I gave you, even though an earthly father adopts a child, that earthly father will never be perfect. That earthly father will always have moments where he will fail to be what he told the child he would be because he's fallible. He's a sinner. There are no perfect fathers in this world. There are no perfect mothers. But God, our Heavenly Father, is perfect, and His adoption comes with all the benefits that come with being a child of God. We can be assured of His love and our adoption. This is not a small part of what the Holy Spirit gives us. The Holy Spirit is that which testifies to us about who we are, about who God is, and tells us that we are, in fact, members of God's family. Here's what Romans 8.16 says. You'll be familiar with this verse too. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Your assurance is not coming through someone telling you you're adopted. It's coming because the Spirit is bearing witness with you and reminding you that you are a child of God. It would make no difference to me today, and I don't mean this in an ugly manner, it would make no difference to me in any way, shape, or form if any of you came to me and said, you're not a child of God. It wouldn't affect me one bit. Because the Spirit is bearing witness with me. And that is more powerful than what anybody can tell me. Now, you can make a lot of presumptions about me, you can make a lot of presumptions about, well, I, they just don't act like it. They must not really be. Folks, be careful about your own carnal presumptions of other people thinking you know where someone else is. All I can declare to you today is Scripture teaches us that you can know that you're a child of God. And I'm not giving you a checklist. The Bible's telling us here's how you may know that you have faith in Christ and you are one of His. So we do know that God cares deeply about know, that his children would be assured of his love. Now again, let's return back to the negative side of this. We see that the chapter does begin making that concession. There are temporary believers. But they were very specific to mention that the people who are deceiving themselves are unregenerate men. In the simplest terms, these are people who have never been converted. These are people who have never been converted by the grace of God. It is impossible for you to have once been regenerated, converted, to suddenly go back to your non-adopted state. So that it's impossible for you as a regenerated person to become an unregenerated person again, or to lose your salvation, or to your conversion to be undone. That's an impossibility. So if you're regenerate today, you can't be one of the people who said, Lord, Lord, but don't enter into the kingdom of heaven. That passage is about unregenerate people. 
That is a key understanding. Our regeneration is the very opposite of what unregenerate people have. They deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and in a state of salvation. So here in the midst of this amazing work, what the Spirit of God does during the time even of the apostles, there were people in, in the Bible, like three individuals we're going to talk about this morning, Ananias, Sapphira, and a man by the name of Simon. All three of these individuals were guilty of some carnal presumptions. They were guilty of believing something that just wasn't true. Now, you want to go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 5. Again, we're just going to kind of read through these. We're not going to expound them in great detail. But I want you to notice the wording that's being used in these passages. Acts chapter 5, verses in verse number 1. says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Two times the phrase, and great fear came on all that heard these things. This would have been a frightening sight to have behold, to have beheld, to see that. And to see this interaction going on between these individuals and watching them fall dead at the feet. One that's not as familiar is the account of Simon. And that's over in Acts chapter number 8. And we notice the wording that he uses because he is... He, he is completely making some presumptions of his own about where this, his hope, really is found. Acts 8, verse 14. Now, the, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they went unto them Peter and John. They sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now watch this. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money." 
Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then, then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. There's some false presumptions being made. What's interesting in this passage, Simon asked for them to pray, and the disciples or the apostles, they leave, they return. We're not, we don't hear a lot more about Simon. These presumptions, that first presumption that he believed that he could purchase the Spirit with money. The presumption that he believed, if you give me this, then I can give it to someone else. The presumption that he could have the gift, and that's what it says right there in verse 20, that you thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Now, there may not be anybody here today or anybody we know who truly believes that you could receive the gift of salvation through money, but there are people who are pinning their hopes on a lot of other false things. And if you've, if you've grown up in that environment, some of those things you know what I'm talking about. You know some of those presumptions. You know some of those to-do lists that if I just finish my list for the day, assuming, presuming that I can have eternal life if I'll just do what's on my list. The other one, we won't turn there this morning, but the parable of the different soils that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They talk about how the seed was received into bad ground, stony ground. Some of the seed was received into good ground. These are passages that ought to remind us about the, the seriousness that initial responses to the gospel, even if they're positive ones. Now hear me clearly. Initial positive responses to the gospel are not always a saving response. I can't tell you how many times I've seen over the years people putting all their stock in an initial positive response and we, somebody, falsely declares to them, well, you are now saved. I've seen initial positive responses time after time after time only to see no lasting fruit. It happens. In, in, our, in our busyness to convert the soul, or so we think, we miss out on the reality that there will be an assurance that this salvation for that individual is real. Most people who battle with assurance problems now, and this has just been my experience, are people who were told by somebody else they were saved. Somebody else told them they're saved. And the conversations went something like this. Did you do this, this, and this? And they say affirmative, 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 or yes, yes, yes. And what does that person say? Well, then you're saved. And that person gets up out of that counseling session and walks back to their home, walks back to their churches and say, why don't I feel saved? Because you're, you are basing your assurance on another human being who is a sinner saved by grace telling you not the Spirit bearing witness with you. We make a lot of presumption. We can make a presumption of our own salvation because someone else told us we were saved. I've given you my testimony. 
I can make a presumption that I know I'm saved because somebody wrote it in my little red Bible all those years ago. For many, many years, that was my testimony. That's how I knew I was saved because it was written in my Bible. And it wasn't until later on I fully understood and began to understand the reality of my sin. So there is this carnal presumption. So this first paragraph does acknowledge that false assurance does exist and that there are many people who deceive themselves into thinking that one day they will go to heaven. Now the most frightening thing about this passage is the reality that these people truly believe that they are on their way to heaven or that they have the favor of God. Probably the the clearest example of this is in Luke chapter 18, and it's a familiar story. And again, these should be familiar to us. But it's the story of the Pharisee and the publican. And notice the presumption that the Pharisee continued to make. We'll just drop down to, uh, let's let's just pick it up in verse number 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You can, you, can, you can almost see the venom coming out of this Pharisee's mouth. I thank God I'm nothing like you. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, now the immediate context is, this man refers to the publican. So we could easily read, I tell you, this publican went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now that's about as clear as it gets. Scripture says right there, there's only, there's two people in this story and only one's justified. 50%. It's not the Pharisee. It's not the man who appeared to be so-called religious, although I think he lost his religious identity when he started saying, I thank God I'm not like that that person. That's a dead giveaway. How dare we look at someone else and say, I thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. The The Pharisee believed on his own carnal presumption that he had the favor of God. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The Bible does tell us about being self-deceived. By the way, if you were to rank the worst deceptions that there are, the worst kind is being self-deceived. Thirdly, of this chapter, having made this opening concession that false hopes or these false assurances exist. The intent of this opening paragraph is to declare that Christians can have a certain assurance. They can know that they are child of God. Now, who does that belong to? Well, the the confession tells us this assurance only belongs to who? Such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the only people who have this assurance. Those 
who truly believe and love Him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before Him. Now again, don't leave off the endeavoring to walk part. We are all very quick to say, I truly believe in the Lord Jesus. I truly love Him. But I don't endeavor to walk with Him. I would tell you, I would just tell you, take note of that. Because where there's a true faith and love for Christ, there will always be a desire to walk with Him. That's what John was saying. You'll keep my commandments. You'll love your brother. If you see a brother in need, you'll help that brother. And yet, the genuine believer is demonstrated, his faith is demonstrated by endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before the Lord. So look at the last phrase. He says that those same people who are assured that they're in a state of grace may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. They can be confident that they are in the faith. They can have confidence that their salvation is not a delusion. That they're not deceived. This subject this morning of assurance is probably the number one problem, issue, that in the years I've been in ministry that I've had to deal with. I've dealt with more questions about this than anything else. It, it runs rampant in Christian circles. I'm, I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people who they have been, they have been walking with God. They've made a confession of, of, of faith. They live the Christian life. They love the Lord Jesus by their, by their outward acts. And yet somehow, some way, they pick up the phone or they send me a message and they say, Preacher, I am struggling with my assurance. And yet everything they're doing is giving some evidence. But the question is this. Does the Spirit, does the Spirit bear witness with your spirit? See, no man can give you assurance. Only the Spirit can give you assurance. Most of us, because of bad experiences, had someone, some along the line, tell us, here's how you can know you're saved. I've watched people knelt at an altar, and I'm not, I am not, don't get me wrong, I am not questioning that that person who was responding to something, I'm not questioning their sincerity to respond. Not at all. And, and again, I hope we don't take that approach that just because somebody comes forward, that we don't have that negative attitude that says, oh, well, that's not real. I grew up around that. I know what's going on here. Listen, don't doubt the sincerity of someone being moved by the Spirit. But certainly, don't muddy the water for that person by giving them some other standard as to how they can have assurance that's not what the Word of God says. And if you continue to tell them over and over again, well, did you do this, this, and this? Again, I don't mean to be disrespectful. But sometimes people who are the altar workers at the churches where that's happening are not qualified to counsel the people because they don't even know. And they're telling them, here's how you can know. Did you pray this, this, and this? 
I never one time heard someone quote Romans 8 and say, the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Not one time in years that I ever hear an altar worker use that term or that verse with somebody who came forward. The assurance is not coming by what we did. That story of the Pharisee and the publican, he went on to rattle off everything else he did too. He tithed, he gave, he fasted. So this assurance is extremely important. It is a part of the Christian life. Uh, Jesus himself taught in Matthew 16. Now look at, this, look at this passage here. Matthew 16, verses 26 through 28. And we don't look at this, but this, this shows us how serious the Lord Jesus Christ considers the souls of man. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Do you know it's never taught in the Bible that we are supposed to live this life and then hope when we get to the end of this life that we make it in. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if that's your approach, that's an unbearable life. You are in misery today. You're in absolute misery if you think that this life, i got to live, 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 and then once I draw my final breath, I hope I get in. Folks, you have to be miserable today if that's the way you're living. You have to be. That would be an unbearable thought for me to think that if this moment, at this moment, if I drop dead right in front of you, I have to wait until then to know if I'm actually a child of God. It would be unbearable. Again, we have to be careful about questions like, are you sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? We've got to be careful about how we ask that question and asking on the right basis. But what a, what, a, what a thought it would be to not know. Have to wait for the judgment. Without assurance, all of our joy and all of our contentment in this life is gone. If you don't have assurance, you don't have joy. If you don't have assurance, I can tell you, you're not content in this life. So the very importance of assurance is demonstrated by the fact that an entire New Testament book is dedicated to the assurance. 1 John 5.13, John clearly explains his chief purpose in writing this first epistle. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. John was writing to believers. His concern was this, that Christians would know to be certain those who have possession of eternal life. Throughout that entire letter, we read some of those, he indicates how believers can know that they know Christ. So we've got to beware. Beware that true believers can know that for sure. But then there are also temporary believers who are unregenerate, who truly do believe that they are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven one day, and yet the Lord will say in that moment, I never knew you.
Again, those that are in Christ and are basing their assurance on the proper, on the proper things, don't worry about being the people in Matthew 7. 2 Peter 1.10 indicates that we are to make our calling and our election sure. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, if you're one of the elect, if you're one of the elect, you on easy street, you can put it on cruise control, God chose you and use all the right terms, He chose you, you didn't choose Him. If that... If you think that gives you a license to just go on cruise control, you may be guilty of a carnal presumption. Because the reality is that if we truly are the elect, if we truly are in Christ, we are going to endeavor to walk as someone who is one of His children. Not just simply say, well, God marked me out, and now I can do whatever I want to do. That's a carnal presumption. Certain assurance can be known. So I hope, I hope this opening uh, teaching on this will help us today. Does anybody have any questions today? I'm not going to ask a specific question this morning, but does anybody have a question you would like?